Hey everyone. So I have a handful of questions I have collected uh, since, I guess pretty much since that video on daycare that I guess you could say went viral. I'm not sure what constitutes viral. I only know when the numbers are super big that, you know, it means something. I let Kelsey deal with all that. But anyway, um, I definitely had an influx of email and I wanted to answer some of those questions here on the podcast um, so that other people who might be in the same boat may benefit. So I'm just going to go through them. There's no particular order. Sometimes I have several questions about the same topic showing how much more, you know, uh, common some issues are than others. But at any rate, I'm going to start with one that is somewhat unique in that I rarely get asked about it, but I have lots of thoughts on it considering it's my life. And it has to do with working at home with one's spouse. So this is from one woman who um, said in a recent YouTube episode, I'm not sure which one she means. I, uh, sorry, you shared the challenges of working from home and that it had many downsides to, for your marriage. I believe you said that your husband works from home. Could you share the details on why this caused issues? My soon to be husband is a software engineer and works from home. He is planning to work from home in the future in a home office room. I can foresee potential challenges from the experience of living together for a few months. The lack, such as the lack of distance, he's literally right there, which makes me interrupt his work for reasonable questions. And he has told me that it is hard to work on the computer while he sees me doing physical or active housework. And this is without any little ones running around. I would love to hear your experience, and I'm sure many others would too. I have an inkling that a workspace at a shared office space, shared office space might be a good idea to keep work and home life separated and more, more harmonious. He has had that before and reported liking it, however, being frugal and practical, he might balk at the cost. I'm wondering how to suggest this without coming across as trying to dictate his professional life. Help. Thank you so much. Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> to answer your first question, how has it affected um, my husband, Bill, and me? Okay, so this is definitely um, our biggest, has been, I should say, our biggest struggle throughout our marriage. It did not start out this way, the first five years of marriage. Um, actually, maybe it wasn't even that long. Um, he left and came home at night, you know, just like quote unquote normal. And I was home with the kids. And then I remember when he got his first offer that would require his being home based. And I was pregnant at the time. And I remember kind of having this sinking feeling like, eh, I don't think this is a good idea. But um, it actually did work out for a while. Okay. Um, and it's very common in sales. My husband's in sales. And so, you know, what could I say? I mean, he was earning the paycheck, so it really wasn't up for debate. Uh, fast forward 20 years, um, 
And it's, you know, ebbed and flowed in different ways where there were times when he traveled a lot, so it wasn't a big deal. Um, times when we had a better arrangement in terms of the office setup than others where it was less of a big deal. Um, now the setup's great. Uh, but the ongoing theme in our case, which wouldn't necessarily apply to yours, although there is some overlap with what you wrote, so I'll come back to that, is that I, as a writer, or, you know, now, I guess you call me, I don't know what you call me, a content producer, because now it's, you know, videos and podcasts and coaching and all that. But for years and years, it was writing. And writing requires hours of uninterrupted silence. And the best way to do that is to be completely and totally alone with no interruptions. But my lifestyle was never really conducive to that. I, I had planned on it being when my kids were in school, but I assumed, but, I, but my husband never left for eight hours a day and returned at that phase of life. So I never really ex did get to experience that. So it's always been hit or miss and trying to arrange a scenario that works. Um, his work is not like that. You don't just go into a room and not leave for eight hours and sit at a computer, nor would he want to do that. He's in and out. He's moving all the time. He's spent several hours there, but then he's up or he's out with clients and then back. Um, he maybe he eats lunch at home. Maybe he, um, you know, does something in the driveway and comes back. And it's just a lot of, um, moving around in conjunction with being at the computer. And so he kind of takes over the house, <laughs> if you will. Um, now this is, this was not the case when my, when our kids were little and I was home with them. That was definitely not the case. He was traveling a lot and he had an office sort of separate from where I was with the kids. If anything, we were bothering him with our stomping around with the little feet. Um, so like I said, it's just, it's changed, but it's never really worked in any kind of ideal way. And it has been a source of conflict. There is just no question about that. So for an example, you, you said in here, um, hit the lack of distance. Cause he's right there makes me interrupt his work for reasonable questions. So I know exactly what you feel, what you're feeling. Um, the fact that he's there doesn't make you interrupt him. I mean, you could not interrupt him, but as someone who's been in your boat, what I find the most difficult is that it's, there's no clarity for when you're there versus when you're not there. Like if you were literally going to disappear into a room for eight hours a day and not come out of it, that would be super clear. Well, I guess I just don't talk to you for eight hours, but most people don't do that. They're going to get up and move about. Um, and so you, it has the, uh, appearance of being that you're home, <laughs> even though your brain is somewhere else. So you're like physically there, but your head is still in what you wrote on your computer 10 minutes ago and you got to get back to, you know? So it's almost like you have to pretend like they're not there, even though they are. That is the easy answer to it. Like you just off limits. And we have tried together, he and I even to say, just just no talking between nine and five about anything of any consequence, but it's super, super challenging to constantly, to stick with that when you're constantly around each other. Um, 
I don't have an easy answer for you, except to separate the space for sure. This idea that you can, I've seen people attempt to work like at the, at the kitchen table. I had one client where the husband's work was like at the kitchen table and she was home with kids. Now that's crazy. I mean, I never did anything like that. That that's just setting it up for failure from the get go. So you have to be realistic about what this is going to look like. And you have to have the home set up that will accommodate this. And to answer your question about an office outside the house. Yeah, that was, that went on for a couple of years. I was the one who actually went out, um, again, because I'm the one who wants to sit down uninterrupted for hours in front of a computer and that's not his work. He's with people a lot and he's on the phone a lot and it's just a different thing. So I did the office thing and that was fine for a while. Um, so you might end up just doing, you know, what we, we did and just figure it out year to year, depending on the circumstances. But, um, have him listen to this answer as opposed, in, instead of going to talk to him directly yourself, because it might sound better since it's coming from somebody else who's done this for 20 years. And, um, I'm, I'm just sharing with you the reality of it. Um, you said a workspace, a shared office. I would never share an office with my husband. That would never work. I wouldn't recommend that. But again, it depends on what your work is. I mean, somebody who like for coaching, I have to be completely alone. I wouldn't have anybody around me if I'm talking to somebody on the computer for coaching, relationship coaching. That's, you know, not right. So it really, really depends on what kind of work you do and what's necessary. So anyway, I hope that's helpful. Um, I would never recommend it. I've told my kids that, um, they know that they know that that's been a biggest source of conflict for us. And, um, you know, it's nobody's fault. It's just the way that it is. Um, sure, we could change our lives and our jobs. Um, but obviously, we didn't choose that route. Um, so if it can be avoided, do. It doesn't need to be a marriage killer, but it will be a marriage stressor. It shouldn't be a marriage killer because it's not personal. It's not about your relationship. It's about, a, you know, a physical, the physicality of your setup, um, which doesn't make it easy. But uh, I, the other thing is I think we are headed more and more in this direction. When I look at our kids who are in their twenties now, um, this hybrid scenario where people are half going in and half not, especially post COVID, I don't know if they're going to go back to doing that or not. I mean, going back to, um, in-house all the time, I just don't see it. And so I think this, this scenario that I've dealt with for all these years is probably going to be more of the norm for people. And it's yet just another added stressor for marriages um, that is, you know, not good. It is not ideal. So if it can be avoided, yes, avoid it. If it can't, then have really specific rules about when you communicate, when you don't make sure you have an arrangement set up physical in the house that works. And um, yeah, that's really all I got. All I've got on that. Okay. And this next one is, um, about that daycare, more about the daycare video that I, um, did. Hi, Suzanne. Thank you for your content and words of wisdom. Uh, I currently have a one-year-old and a two-year-old. They are going to attend daycare two days a week from seven to four home with mom or dad the rest of the days. 
We have no family or friends that can help at this time. The nanny share we tried could not work for our situation. Realistically, I'm going to be in the workforce for another two to three years. Can this arrangement flourish for a healthy marriage and children? Any advice for mothers who want and are aware of the importance of a healthy marriage and securely attached children, but have to work. So I always say very, very first thing off the bat is to take pen to paper to see if in fact that is true that you quote unquote have to work in those early years. My guess is since you're doing it, I, I think you're doing it. Well, no, I can't tell whether you're working full time or part time or if you, I don't know, but you said daycare two days a week. So I, what I wanted to do was just give a quick overview about the number of hours in care and the age of children, because I think that's a super important question that doesn't get answered. So the underlying issue is what the age of the baby slash toddler slash child is and how many hours we're talking. So for instance, a two-year-old in some sort of group setting a couple of days a week for a couple of hours is very different from a six month old in full-time daycare every day, all day. So you don't want to lump it in, which we do as a society, for sure. We never, ever give these specifics. Um, children that age are actually better off in short spurts of separation as opposed to long days. That's the real kicker. Now, is two days better than five? Oh, absolutely, 100% it is. But in the ideal world, you'd actually be better off working several hours a day, five days a week, than full days with children that young. Because the separation for you of eight or 10 hours may not seem like a lot, but to them, it's an eternity. They have no sense of time. So when you disappear, they don't understand that you're going to be right back. So the longer you're gone, the more that the more it's traumatizing. And so that's why I'm always telling people, gosh, if you're going to work, find a way to do it two hours a day, you know, and if you can coordinate it around naps, that's another idea. But even if you were apart, two hours is very different from 10. So this is a very important distinction that people don't realize because there's just, I don't know how else to say, cause there's just no sense of time. And so unless you've developed over a long, over several years, the pattern that you're going to go away and come back relatively quickly, and they get used to that, then they don't know when you leave that you're not coming back. And, and of course, then there's the, the issues of what's going on during those many hours of absence that you can't keep track of. So with the sleep and the eating and all of that will mess up kind of what you're doing when you have baby, because you don't know what went on during those hours. So it's, um, that's why longer hours are always not good. So you want to try and do it in short spurts if it has to be done. But again, I always start with the math because I find that people are super surprised at how much of their lifestyle and their childcare costs are actually just offsetting the choice to use daycare and live that lifestyle. That not spending that and cutting back in this or that area is actually way easier than they thought.
That's not always the case, but I'm just saying that's where I would start. Okay, I hope that helps. Um, now I have two that have to do with having an unsupportive husband and or convincing a husband to agree to mom staying home, which by the way, I get a lot of showing me that it is a big issue today. No question. This, the subject line says husband and I are not on the same page. Good morning, Suzanne. I recently found your show through the interview you did on the spillover podcast. We don't have any children yet, but are actively trying for another baby. I've always wanted a family and I've always wanted to stay home with the kids, but I was pushed by everyone in my life to do the opposite. I got married six years ago, but at 23, but my husband still wanted to put off having kids until I got a stable job. Now that I have one, I've come to the conclusion that I want to stay home with our kids. I thought she said she always wanted to. I'm confused. Okay. I don't want to work full time or even part time after I give birth. I my husband feels shocked by this. When I wasn't working before, he said he felt supported and taken, uh, sorry, he felt unsupported and taken advantage of. How do I get him on the same page? I don't even want family watching our kids, maybe on occasion, but not most of the time. What do I do? I also have 90000 in student loan debt. Is working from home even possible after all this? Well, that's a lot of questions, but the underlying theme of this is that that you and your husband are not on the same page. And the fact that he felt unsupported and taking advantage of when you weren't working since you didn't have kids, that's more, you know, understandable for lack of a better word. Um, I don't know that all men would feel that way, but I can see how it would feel that way because if you don't have kids and you're not working, then it sort of feels like you're putting it on him entirely. And really that, sh that feeling should shift completely when you're home with a baby. And it almost always does because that's when men kick into high gear with their providing gene and women kick into high gear with their nesting. And it's supposed to work in tandem where if you kind of surrender to that, he wants to take care of you and his child. So he, presumably would not be unsupportive in that boat. I, I assume it's because you, you didn't have children and you, and you weren't working. So just clarify with him. What is the goal? If you are not on the same page about what you're looking for with respect to family and work and how that fits together, you are not a match pure and simple. Now you guys are already married and I'm, I'm sure you are a match and that it, you, I think it's probably just about the fact that like I said, you weren't working and you didn't have children, but still need to have that conversation about what that's going to look like once children come along. This is one of the biggest shockers for young people today because no one prepares them for how priorities change and DNA uh, becomes <laughs> sort of front and center once those babies come, that men and women don't respond to parenting in the same way. You know, one kicks in, like I said, kicks into high gear on the providing and one wants to nest. And that's not always the case, but that's usually the case. And if they are in alignment about how that's going to look, then it's okay. It's, it's when they're not aligned on that, that the problems um, arise. Okay, here's another question about sleep training. Hi, Suzanne. I watched your videos about daycare and the harmful effects on early emotional development. What do you know about cry it out sleep training or other forms of sleep training? Are they harmful? Should there be parameters such as when to start? 
time allowed to cry, etc. If you believe that being left to cry is harmful, do you have suggestions for alternatives? <coughs> okay, so here's the thing about I know that that especially young mothers today get so much um I don't know what's the word pressure to mother a certain way and are constantly trying to figure out what's right and what's wrong. And back in our day, uh, it wasn't quite, I mean, you always had, you know, the powers that be or the voices outside telling you what to do, but it was just a lot more, um, lax. Um, and certainly that was the case for my own when we were little too, when my, you know, our mothers and grandmothers, they didn't have to deal with all this. So to some degree you want to use common sense. Well, to a large degree, you want to use common sense combined with practice and experience. Um, and of course this requires really being there so that you can read your baby or toddler. Um, if you're not around enough, this is not, this is gonna be very difficult to do. But assuming you are there, um, if you are in that position where your baby or even young toddler is crying, um, despite the schedule that you've put him or her on and that you're faithful to, because that's number one, if you are not faithful to a schedule where baby is in the right environment to be able to sleep and is not overstimulated and has not been, you know, basically just had his or her needs met and is always being put down at the same time. And you're still struggling with the crying because that's always step one, because if that's not happening, then the crying is a response to that. And it's, it means that has to get fixed first, you know, an overtired, overtired child, for example, is often a result of what the parent isn't doing, isn't seeing to their needs in terms of a schedule. And so they are completely off of it and they, their bodies react. So assuming that you've taken care of that, the crying it out can work if you are outside the room and you're treating it like a, um, you know, a job in, in and of itself, it almost becomes more work to do the cry it out if you do it right, which is to, Go in, put your hand on his or her back. Let him know that you're there while he's crying, but without picking him up and removing him from the crib. And then you leave again and then he cries again and then you go back in. And this might take three, four, five, six times so that he knows you're there, but you're not going to get him up because it's not time to get up and you need to sleep. That's how you do the cry out method properly. It's not like, you know, just putting them in another room and then you going to sleep, although who sleeps through the crying, of course, but, and then you just literally sit there until they cry themselves to sleep because that's very painful to listen to and it's very painful for them and it's not the right way to go about it. Um, the right way to go about it, if you're going to use this method, is, is like I said, so they always know you're there, but you're not getting them up. I hope that helps.
Okay. And then this next one is, um, about this last one actually is about, um, husbands and low sex drive. And I, I chose this one because it is not the only one I've gotten on this. I've gotten a handful of these more than a handful over the years, but even a handful recently, um, where women are not understanding. Cause I talk a lot about, or I have talked a lot about sex and the difference between men and women. And of course it's usually men who want it more than women. However, there are circumstances where it is reversed and it is more so today than it has ever been. So I think that's why I'm getting this uptick in this particular question. So this gal is basically, um, wondering if, you know, she's the cause of, of her husband not wanting to have sex with her. Um, I'm, let's see, my husband isn't very interested in sex with me. The only periods he actively initiated was for roughly the first six months of dating. And when we were actively making our children, are there men who really don't have high sex drives? And then, I mean, she's gone, she goes on to say, I've never rejected his sexual advances. I often verbalize my desire for him. Could this be something I've done? Um, yada, yada. So there are three general reasons for why a man's sex drive would be low. The one and most obvious is to make sure you check that it's not anything physical. Okay. Cause that can happen. Um, there are things in the body physically that go on hormonally that would, could potentially be an issue, not usually or always, but it can be. So you want to check that first, you know, check your testosterone. Um, if you're overweight, that can make a big difference, things like that. The second one is, could be about the relationship. If the relationship has gone very, very South, usually, but usually this only happens with a really, how do I say this? A bad wife, super bad wife, like really mean or abusive in some way. And that's not usually the case because even a bad marriage can be helped by sex, at least for the, for the man's, from the man's point of view. Um, it's not that difficult to get them, um, you know, to get the relationship back on good footing via sex. So that's unusual, but it's possible. But the third one is the biggest, and it is a massive problem today. And I have not addressed it except for one time on my podcast, because I really don't have any personal experience with it. And I didn't, I, I've never really looked into it. I just have been on the receiving end of hearing a lot about it. And that is porn. Porn is a massive problem for men today for a thousand different reasons. And I'm not going to go into all of that here. I, all it is to say is this sounds to me like he's probably got a porn addiction because it takes a lot for a man to be completely turned off. And I, unless he is, um, too exhausted from taking care of it himself. And that is a big problem today with, with the porn industry and the availability of porn. So you didn't mention that here in the email. 
So I'm mentioning it to you that I think that's your first question is to sit, have a sit down and say, this isn't sustainable. Something's wrong. Could it be this? Are you doing this? And get the answer to it um, from that, you know, from directly asking him. Um, I, I'm, I'm so super sad about this. It needs, it needs way more attention than I'm giving it right now. Um, and like I said, if you scroll back, I can't remember what the episode was, but I did have, um, I think his name was King David. That was his brand name. So maybe if you Google Suzanne Banker King David, you'll find the episode where I did on that I did on porn. But um, it's just it's super tragic. It's super tragic, and I can't even talk about it because it's just so big. But anyway, I think that's um, a very good possibility. Um, yeah. So I hope that helps, and that you get to the bottom of that. Okay, that's about it for now. Um, See y'all next time.